You are listening to the Gator Slant, a Florida Gators podcast from ChopTalk.com. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fox and Ryan Haley. Gator Slant. I believe this is episode number 13. We are an all sports Florida Gators podcast from Chomp Talk. Alongside Ryan Haley and Jesse Richardson, I am Brian Fox. Guys, what's up? Not much, Brian. How are you, man? I'm good, man. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing okay. It's It's uh, been a pretty easy Monday so far. So, um, yeah, I'm doing well. Glad to hear you guys are doing well. Happy to be here again for another episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. No doubt, no doubt this will be the toughest part of your Monday. <laughs> um, guys, last week when yeah, I was planning time with this, Jesse's always tough. <laughs> oh, yeah. Guys, guys, when I was planning this episode last week, I kind of assumed that we were going to start with the fall scrimmages uh, on the diamonds as both baseball and softball were in action this weekend. However, an interesting development kind of occurred between Thursday and Sunday. And because of that, I think it'd be unfair to start anywhere but with the Florida soccer team. This team has had their backs against the wall, fighting for a berth into the SEC tournament in Orange Beach, Alabama. Yet against Georgia on Thursday, they made a valiant effort to come back from a a big deficit before allowing a late goal. Uh, But they followed that up with a four to nothing route of LSU, which was both unexpected and really fun to watch. Jesse, tell me what's going on with the soccer team. Are they finally starting to find an identity on the offensive side of the ball? Uh, it, you know, it really seems like it after these past two matches, but unfortunately it's coming a little bit too late, a little bit too late in the season here. Um, but this, this is really cool to say, let, uh, let me just talk about the Thursday matchup really quick. And let me just be totally honest and say that by the halftime score of three, nothing, I was kind of mentally checked out. And my friend Ryan Zender was mainly covering the game. So I was like, okay, that should be a fun gamer for him to write. It's going to be a three, nothing blowout. And yeah. So what do you know? It became even more fun of a gamer for him, and the, the Gator actually came back pretty late into the game to make it 3-3. Um, unfortunately, they couldn't hang on to that, um, and they just fell just short by a goal. But uh, honestly, w- w- for that matchup, I wasn't even too upset about the loss. I thought that they showed a lot of heart, a lot of spirit, and you know, just l- losing that that last goal uh, definitely was was a stab in the heart. But I will say that redemption did come very satisfyingly on Sunday versus LSU. Um, I mean, just the fact that this team has scored seven goals within the past two matches is something I never thought I'd ever say on the show quite ever, but uh, it, it happened. And then they also got, got a shout out to a win as well. And I mean, it versus LSU was senior day. I don't think it could have gotten any better. Kit Leforsky was all over the field as she usually is a goal to assist. Um, and, and how about the defense too? I mean, Alexa Goldberg only had to make the three saves, which is very impressive for the weekend. And, um, yeah, I, I think that this offensive identity has definitely shown up and it comes right on time after me and Ryan Zender write a article in, in the alligator last week about saying how they can't score at all. And so I will gladly take back those words, uh, this week and saying that, that, this matchup from South Carolina versus South Carolina on Thursday does look a little bit more promising, even though the Gamecocks do have a pretty solid squad lined up. Yeah, that's a pretty good South Carolina team. They're sitting at 10, five and one overall five, three and one in sec play. Uh, but Florida, it seems like has momentum. The game is going to be played in Gainesville. And uh, I'm actually really excited to see 
what this team has in store, you know, maybe they are starting to put things together. And uh, obviously that is the hope moving forward. Um, Ryan, any thoughts you want to share about the soccer team? I know you're editing all the articles over there or at least seeing them come through. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think the one thing that stuck out to me, and this is uh, entirely an impression of someone who is not in media, it just, from the descriptions of it and talking to Jesse and Ryan Zender, it felt like the team was a bit looser this week, uh, both like with their play style and mentality. I mean, that was one of the things that stuck out and was uh, great reporting was um, uh, the first goal uh, Florida had against LSU and Lafersky hit like that one uh, bending shot from across the field and Madison Alexander just tapped it in after the goal uh, goalie attempted to stop it. And Lafersky just kind of joked, she was like, maybe she should do that more often. And that was some kind of levity that I felt like the team had kind of been missing for much of the year. Not to say that like everyone was really somber, but it was like, like there's, there was the level of fun, which is like, it's probably hard to have fun when most of your wins are one, nothing grinders. But like, that was just, that was the big thing that stuck out to me is it felt like everything was just a bit looser this week. Um, so the team, I don't know if it was the fact that they finally had um, like their backs against the wall, or if it was later in the season, they finally have that chemistry there um it just kind of felt like the whole team was a little bit kind of more comfortable yeah it definitely appeared that they were playing at least a little bit looser than what we had seen uh and like you said ryan and i I don't think it can be underestimated it looked like they were having fun which all too often this year especially when they would get down early uh it didn't look like out there on the pitch uh jesse any final thoughts on on the soccer program yeah just to add on to that fun aspect of it i definitely agree uh definitely talking to them in media um Amato sounded ecstatic uh, about it. And uh, I mean, even in between switching between Amato and Kit Lefersky in, in media, they actually even joked a little bit with each other just about like saying, oh, Kit Lefersky thought she messed up on a shot one time. But Amato was like, oh, no, no, that was nothing. But it really seems like that chemistry is starting to build up there between coach and players. And I mean, and even uh, for the Olivia Gonzalez goal, I mean, she, first of all, she made a beautiful move inside the box to, to get the shot off. And then she turned to her to, to the defender that she crossed up and even gave a, a, a gator chop, which is something I haven't seen an energy I haven't seen from this team all season. So I, I think I thought that was awesome. I thought it was it, it was very Florida. And, and I feel like that the energy is really coming, although the, although it's coming a little bit too late in the season. I still think they have just a tiny bit of a chance of making an SEC berth. Um, total opposite of what I said last week. Um, but boy, I'm definitely excited for this matchup on Thursday. South Carolina, uh, has only won one of their matches in the past five games and the rest have been, uh, one tie and, and then, uh, and then three losses. So it should be a very interesting matchup. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely something to look for on campus. The final home game of the 2021 season uh, will be Thursday evening at Donald R. Disney Stadium. Uh, so make sure to go down and check them out. Guys, I want to move over to the uh, basically right next door there at the brand new baseball facility. Uh, baseball had a pair of seven inning exhibition games against Georgia Southern on Saturday. While they dropped game one, three to one and rallied for a seven to six winning game two. The score really isn't the focus. The final isn't really, you know, important. Uh, Florida has a huge, a massive number of players coming into the program after the departures from last year, whether it be from the draft or from the transfer portal. Uh, look, I just want to kind of take the lead on this. A couple of things that really stood out to me. Uh, Hunter Barco looked like an ace on the mound. He pitched two innings, struck out four. His fastball sat 93 to 95, and he had really good movement. 
He didn't allow a base runner and gave you every reason to be optimistic heading into 2022 uh, with him as your Friday night guy. Uh, guys, any thoughts on Hunter Barco? I, I thought Hunter Barco looked just like he did last season. Uh, I mean, four strikeouts and two innings is pretty impressive. I, I, I think, uh, I mean, you know, it's pretty hard to do in, in, in any baseball game versus, versus any team. So, yeah, just, just glad to see that the Southpaw is still tossing those, those fastballs as fast as ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, breaking news, Hunter Barco might be good at baseball. Like, I, I don't – like, again, if we're going to play the game of, well, the loss in game one doesn't matter, we have to play the game of, well, Hunter Barco striking out four of his six batters and not, like, pitching two perfect innings, like, does can't be important either. Um, but, like, Hunter Barco is going to be Hunter Barco. He's the most sure bet on this roster going into the season, even more so than Judd Fabian. Um so yeah, he he looked impressive, and it was it's always good to see the number one guy on the roster. Or like, it'd be good for Florida to see the number one guy on the roster uh, perform to the level he performed at. But I like I didn't see anything from Hunter Barco that changed my perception of who he was as a player. But it was already fairly high. I thought he was the best pitcher on the roster last season. All right, Ryan, because you mentioned Judd Fabian, I cannot go without mentioning Derek Fabian. Uh, the freshman shortstop, I mean, he showed off just absolutely legitimate power. Uh, he smacked two, no doubt, home runs to the opposite field. Uh, he also made some plays at shortstop that, um, you know, Josh Rivera wasn't making a year ago. Um, you know, this it was fun to watch. Um, I'm really excited to see what Fabian does. Um, I think it was Cindy Chambers who had a really good picture after the first home run of the two Fabians hugging it out after um, Derek's home run, his first home run. Uh, what a cool moment, but uh, man, I'm really excited to see what Derek Fabian can add to this lineup. Uh, and if he can make an impact offensively, uh, this it's going to go a long way for this team. Uh, guys, any thoughts? You can talk about the offense as a whole. I know Wyatt Langford had a, had a big day at the plate, uh, but however you want to go, Jesse, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, I'm just really excited to see for, uh, for spring ball how Fabians do. I mean, I I know that Judd has always had has always had a huge day at the plate for usually when he's on this team. I mean, just to see Derek come in and, and make fireworks on his on his first day with the team, I think is it's just a great impression to have. Um, but overall, I, I am excited to see how the rest of of, you, of these freshmen do, like uh, like uh, last year's uh, Robertson. Tagati, hopefully I'm saying these names right. Um, and and yeah, so I, I think like for this young squad, uh, I think that so far, I know it's only preseason, but uh, I, I am looking forward to seeing how the rest of the season goes. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Derek Fabian, like, I mean, I think everyone's kind of been waiting in bated breath for Derek Fabian to step on campus ever since uh, word of him kind of came up for the grapevine as a high school recruit. But I think the expectations are going to be sky high, which um, I guess if my one take on this, which is probably a bit premature and not the take that everyone really feels like having in this moment and might be going in a different direction than uh, Brian really expected. I do pity Derek Fabian a little bit um, because it's always hard to come in as the younger one, um, as I'm sure every set of brothers who ever played in the same team especially stars can say like every monster as sisters probably faced this to a degree as well in the volleyball court um it's 
it's really hard when your older brother is on the same team as you or played for the same team as you are. And he was a slam dunk prospect who's going to be like, like every step of the way, he's going to check every single box. And then you have to come up right after him and you do some stuff that looks like kind of mirrors your older sibling. There's going to be expectations that aren't fair to face place on anybody. And I'm not saying Derek Fabian's not going to be able to live up to those expectations or that it's weighing on him in any way, but that's the, the one take I really had going into it, which is the really weird take that I kind of just formulated sitting right here. It's like, man, like I, I really pity Derek Fabian because his legacy is going to be forever the little brother of Judd Fabian. And that sucks because it looks like he's a really damn good player and he deserves to be able to forge his own uh, spot in Florida lore. And I hope he gets the chance to do that and gets the fair shake at that. Yeah. The one thing I would add to that is that I think that Derek Fabian has really kind of embraced uh, just what you were saying there. And he's kind of harnessed it in and he's turned himself into a better ball player because of those kind of expectations. Uh, This is a kid who, I mean, he lit it up down in in Marion County uh, just, just last year uh, was, I believe all County player, um, a guy that I think maybe three years ago, you know, a lot of people were, were kind of underwhelmed by what he had seen. Uh, but a guy who has really just elevated his play. And, and again, somebody that has just really embraced uh, just what you said about, you know, his place in this baseball family um, guys. One thing I, I want to bring up, I, I think it's really interesting when you look at the size of Florida's pitchers. So without naming names, I just want to give you this. Okay. These are, these are the heights for the Florida pitching staff, six foot five, six foot three, six foot three, six foot four, six foot three, six foot five, six foot two, six, four, six, one, uh, six, four, six, eight, six, four, six, three, six, two, six, five, six, three, six, one, six, three, six, five. Um, you know, look, I, I admit I stand maybe five foot, six inches tall. Uh, it looks like Sully would never have recruited me <laughs> as a pitcher, even if I had the arm that, that I don't have, <laughs> uh, Ryan, any thoughts on this pitching staff? Uh, they're young. That was kind of the big takeaway I had from it. Um, I know we've had, we had this conversation last week of who's going to be the number two behind Hunter Barco. Um, a, a freshman is going to get weekend starts and weekend work this week and maybe multiple freshmen especially during weekdays um this Florida team I mean it's almost a complete reversal from last season last season was like the story and the narrative around the team was like it's ridiculous that this team has this much has this little turnover and now it's the exact opposite they lost 20 players including 12 pitchers they've replaced nearly three quarters of their pitching stable um so it's hard to really take much away from 14 innings of work against Georgia Southern on any of those guys, but the amount of new faces and the amount of jigsawing that uh, O'Sullivan's going to have to do with this, uh, with this rock. I I have to call him O'Sullivan now because the baseball SID is also Sully and I have to keep them straight in my head. Um, Sullivan and Oslin, the amount of jigsawing that Sully is going to have to do with uh, with his lineups and who he's going to use when. Um, I would like, I know even last year we talked about like, oh, we're not going to see what this real roster and real lineup really looks like until SEC play. We're not going to know what Sully's thinking with this roster until April, like at the earliest. 
because he's he's going to be just trying stuff for the first like six weeks of the season. Guys, getting back to the scrimmage on on Saturday, one guy that I was uh, particularly I don't know if impressed or intrigued is the right word, uh, Karsten Finvold. Uh, he is the smallest pitcher in all those sizes that I just mentioned at six foot, 180 pounds. He's a lefty uh, out of Boca Raton. Um, this guy is a guy who his fastball topped out at 85. Uh, he had incredible command. His, his, his curveball or changeup, I, I couldn't tell from the angle I was at, uh, was as low as 67. But um, he's that junk ball guy that Florida really has never seemed to have in the past. We would see it all the time. And I mentioned this uh, yesterday on in recording the Gridiron Growl podcast with Mark McLeod. Uh, Florida has always struggled against those kind of pitchers in the past, whether it was in mid games against, you know, Stetsons or JUs or UNFs um, or Florida State always seemed to have a guy or two like that, like some kind of gimmicky type of pitcher and Florida would struggle to hit that. So it's kind of cool to see Florida have a guy that's kind of like that. And I'm not saying that this guy is not good. I'm not saying that I'm saying he can't hit speed. That's fine. I can throw 85 miles an hour. Uh, uh, okay, sure. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cast out on that one. I'll let you have that. All right. Uh, we, I, I'm sure there's a place we can go and test that out. Okay. I'm just, and I could have 10 years ago, I'm getting old now, you know, <laughs> We'll you, see. you can throw 85 something. It's just the unit of measure is what's yes, what I'm calling yes. <laughs> feet per square inches and whatever. Anyway. Um, but yeah, anyway, so Carson Finvold is a guy that I really want to see how he gets used. Um, and, and if he gets used, I don't know if maybe Sully brought him in to be kind of that bullpen arm uh, that, that, you know, so that these guys get an opportunity to hit uh, these types of balls. That, that's something, like I said, that they really haven't had in the past. And so that's where I'm really excited to see. Um, look, we mentioned Wyatt Langford at the plate. Yeah, Wyatt Langford went four for five on the day with a home run, a double, an RBI, and a run. Uh, a really good, strong day from the catcher slash first baseman. Man, that is a stable of catchers right now, man. Let's <laughs> let's take a look. Renee Lasters, who was the highest-rated prospect in the class. Uh, you've got Matt Gassetti coming back. Uh, BT Rapoli, who they brought in from Coastal Carolina. Uh, and then obviously you've got Wyatt Langford. That's, that's a stable of catchers right there that really, you know, dating back to the 2017 championship game where they had three solid catchers uh, you know, it, it's rare to see a stable like that and to get them all at bats might be a little bit difficult. Uh, Jesse, any thoughts on, on the catchers? Yeah. I mean, it seems like Wyatt Langford might be a pretty solid choice at the DH. I mean, if he's going to keep hitting like numbers like this, uh, but yeah, like you just said, never, never a bad thing to have a huge stable like that of catchers. I mean, even last season, they're, they're switching between, they did switch between Nathan Hickey and, 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 and Matt Gachetti. I thought Nathan Hickey did a little bit better job at the catching position than uh, Matt Gachetti did. But yeah, this, uh, like I said, never, never a bad thing to have, I guess, too many catchers. I think Langford could be a pretty good spot at, at the DH. And uh, especially after that, that two game sample, but that's just a two-game sample. I could be completely wrong, and maybe his hitting was just on fire this past weekend. But we will see. Guys, one thing that I think is interesting is uh, how they're going to align defensively, and particularly third base. Uh, so, yeah, third base I find particularly interesting. Chris Armstrong started game one at third base. Sterling Thompson played third base in the second game. Um, and I've seen Kendrick Callalas played third. 
who's actually going to end up playing third base. It's obviously not going to be their natural position, no matter who it is. And uh, just how much will that hurt defensively? And can the, the playmaking of, you know, a Derek Fabian or dare I say Josh Rivera kind of, <laughs> Oh, overcome the, uh, the I, like how you said third dare I, I like how you said, dare I say about the incumbent starter. <laughs> Uh, we all have our well, opinions. <laughs> hold on to something. What if Josh Rivera keeps his job? <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, Actually, first off, it, let's let's start simple. Do it. Does anybody think that Josh Rivera is going to be the opening day starter at shortstop? I was actually about to ask about the infield rotation. You know what I think it's going to turn out being? I'm Armstrong, very prepared for this. <laughs> Armstrong at first, Rivera at second, Derek Fabian shortstop, Colby Halter third base. That's exactly I feel, what I think. It, it seems. I feel to like that's got to be. That's got to be the most efficient. I think that's Rivera's natural position. Oh, I agree. He looked he looked a little he looked like he got ahead of himself mentally at shortstop at times. Like he I think the internal timer was a little quicker for him at shortstop cuz that throws a little longer and um that kind of just led him to fumble the point of like the point of the ball a little bit, like whether it was getting the ball into the glove or getting the ball in the direction of first base. I think giving him a place where he's a little closer to first and slowing down that timer is going to be really good for his mental. And then Colby Halter looked like he was kind of confined at second base. Um, and maybe those are just my takeaways because I'm uh, reestablishing my take in my head, but um, I'm going to let that go as it be. And also to keep in mind, every sports take I've had for the past five months has been terribly horrifically wrong. So we have to revisit that a preseason prediction podcast at one point. Um, but yeah, that's, that to me sticks out as like, this is where everyone is most comfortable. And yeah, that actually, I, I have an entirely different question that raises for later on, but I will save that for once you guys have shared your infield thoughts. Well, no, I actually think that you're absolutely right with the infield alignment that you came up with or that you just stated, that just seems to be the alignment that makes the most sense. But it's also why I think Sully's going to go something completely counter to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sully sure. doesn't seem to do anything the easy way or, or what we perceive as the easy way. Uh, so surely it'll be uh, Sterling Thompson at third base and <laughs> whatever really doesn't fun. make sense in our head. It's really fun to cover the baseball team because Sully and the biggest comp I have, this is going to be really funny. and It's going to be even more topical with football this week. Um, the biggest comp I have for O'Sullivan and like Sully, the way he both coaches his own team and reacts to out, outside questions is Dan Mullen. I think they're very, they're cut from a very similar cloth of hating having their programs questioned and kind of zagging when everyone tells them to zig just for the sake of doing so. Um, the only but problem it's, it's is Sully wins. One of those guys has earned yeah. that right. <laughs> yeah. And that's my point. It's like, that was going to be the, the follow-up to that is like Sully wins and Sully wins a lot. Yeah. Um, and so that's always the fun part is I'm like, why the hell is Sully doing this? And I look and I'm like, he wins like 75% of his games. You know what? Yeah. Do what you want to do. Exactly. When he does make a move that you, you kind of question a little bit, you're like, well, you know what? It usually works for him. So who am exactly. I to say he, otherwise? He's earned the benefit of the doubt. Exactly. And I, don't, I, don't agree, I don't think he's done everything correctly. Um, but like to this, he's done enough stuff correctly where I'm like, you know what, whatever they trot out. And I, I don't think, I think the question you asked too, is kind of flawed a little bit. It's like, is he going to be the opening day shortstop? The opening day roster, it's not like a football starter. Like Sully's not going to trot out his world series lineup on opening night. Cause he's not going to know what it is yet with how much turnover he has. 
So Rivera might start at shortstop even if Sully doesn't think he's the best option, just because he wants to see he wants to kind of plug everyone in. There, there, there are four or five freshmen that, based on their profiles and recruiting, probably have a decent shot, like a, a shout at least, of getting non-conference starting time just to give themselves like proof. And it's very rare that, or it's not rare, but it's not 100% common that high school prospects play the same position they're recruited at. So like, I mean, Sterling Thompson was an infielder and he became Florida's go-to right fielder just because his bat was fantastic in non-conference play. So like, I, I, I don't really think the opening day is really the correct time. To, like, if, if Sully trots out a roster in the opening weekend, that is not what we expected. I'm not pushing the panic button. No, of course not. Um, hey, guys, last thing I really want to note um, from the scrimmage was the crowd was fantastic. Um, I was honestly shocked at just how big the crowd was. Uh, it probably helps if football has been, you know, lacking um, and that obviously there was no football to be played this weekend. Um, but it, it was a really good crowd. I would estimate that half the bottom bowl uh, was completely full. Um, I, I know that sounds like a, a really odd sentence there, but um but anyway, I, I go with it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I was really impressed, and Gator fans should be uh, impressed and proud of themselves for that. Um, also, before we uh, move on, uh, Florida obviously faces Georgia on Friday in Jacksonville uh, to kick off rivalry weekend between the two schools. Ryan, you're going to be at the game, right? Um, Potentially. We're still trying to figure out who's going to be going. Um, We have a few people that are uh, have schedules very much in flux, but as of right now, I might be the leading candidate, surprise, surprise, which sounds kind of stupid after I said last week that I have people to do that stuff for me now. And yeah. it turns out I am the people. Yeah, but, exactly. Um, which, as I've always said, I'm a man of the people. So that makes the most sense. But um, yeah, I uh, will have somebody there, whether it's me or not. So I have to I can't only have the foot game, football game to bother the hell out of Delatory. I got to have more time than that. <laughs> there you go hey while we're on the subject uh, i do want to share with everybody that we will be doing a live broadcast from the gator dugout club the baseball booster clubs golf tournament at ironwood on december 3rd uh it's looking like a three o'clock start for us they're going to do a shotgun start at 12 30 uh but then we're going to be as they're as they're finishing up we're going to be there uh cheering them on and uh you know interviewing anybody that wants to come and talk to us so feel free to come out and uh check us out uh i won't i'll have a thing that day yeah yeah his thing is going to be at ironwood so it's okay guys uh, <laughs> <laughs> hitting 18 i'm kidding i'll be i'll be happy to be there i don't know if people will be happy that i'm there but i'll be happy to be there hey guys let's move across the street over to kdc shell presley stadium the gator softball team took a pair of w's against the 2021 Junior College National Champions, the Florida Southwestern State Buccaneers. Before I go further, Jesse, have you ever heard of Florida Southwestern State? I have never heard of Florida Southwestern State Buccaneers, which is a mouthful from front to back. No, I have not. <laughs> <laughs> I, I figured as much, and honestly, I hadn't prior to this either, but they were the 2021 National Championship championship team. Uh Outfielder Bailey Goddard played catalyst for the offense. She crushed, crushed three home runs over the doubleheader, uh, added eight RBIs. Uh, that was a pretty phenomenal outing, obviously, by her. Additionally, the Gators once again showed off their speed on the base paths, going five for six in steal attempts. Uh, this from a team that we haven't seen do a whole lot of running over the last couple of years. Uh, in the circle, Riley Trilicek once again looked impressive. 
She pitched three innings, allowing just a single base runner while striking out six. Um, Marissa Messamore, Natalie Lugo, Danielle Hightower, and Danny Farley all pitched shutout innings. Uh, and as a staff, they recorded 16 strikeouts in the 10 innings of work. Uh, the Gators traveled to Jacksonville to continue its fall schedule against North Florida on Friday. Um, anybody going to go out to North Florida for the game? We're all going to be in Jacksonville for, for, I was, about, I was about to say, we all, all three of us just confirmed we'd be in different places on Friday. So <laughs> I think that scheduling kind of difficult. I wish I could clone myself. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So Ryan, uh, if you figure that out uh, between now and Friday, let me know and uh, we'll make sure to have more give details. Me, give me 48 hours and like a 12 pack of Mountain Dew and I can make it work. Dude, you know what? There's yeah. somewhere on that UF campus that I think could probably do that for you right now. I, I you'd have to show me where I obviously don't know where, but I'm, I know that they're cloning people. I believe that. <laughs> now, did you know, actually, if you stand in the center of Ben Hill Griffin uh, field and say Marco Wilson three times with your eyes closed on a foggy night, you can reset the clock like 14 months. Ooh, can you, do you have to throw a shoe first? No, actually, but you get <laughs> thrown at you. Okay. Good to know. Uh, Ryan, let's go over to the O-Dome. Um, Volleyball picked up a 3-0 win against Alabama on Wednesday. It was the, the, their only match of the week. Uh, they limited the tie to a 106 hitting clip and forced 24 errors. Ryan, let's talk some volleyball. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like if I kind of talk for a long time about this, uh, this Florida volleyball team, I'm just going to wind up reiterating a lot of what I said last week. Because as, I mean, I, I, there's not really a way to, I'm not going to say no offense because there's not really a way to say this without offending Alabama volleyball. A sweep of Alabama volleyball does not really tell me anything new about Florida volleyball. Um, so, but at the same point, it's also, um, I believe it's Florida's like sixth win in seven matches. Um, let me triple check the schedule real fast just to make sure. But that if like, if that's the case, either or if I'm wrong on one or two of those numbers. Um, yep, sixth win in seven matches. Look at me. I can do, I can do math mentally. Uh, Florida's lost once in the past month. Their second most recent loss is September 24th. And that was the day that we're all sitting here like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen with this program. They need to start showing me something. Uh, since then, they've lost four total sets. Uh, three of those in one match against LSU on the road. So uh, I think it's safe to say that once again, for about the third straight week of us saying this, we have our tail between our legs saying, sorry for ever doubting you, Mary Wise. Please forgive us. Um, and uh, to once again recap my favorite stat on campus at any given moment, Marley Montserrat has 739 of Florida's 867 assists. Um, yeah, I feel like I, I feel like I'd just be sitting here reiterating a lot of the same stuff that I said before. Um, they have a few more weeks to get ready for Alabama or not Alabama, Kentucky. I'm in football mode now. Uh, Freudian slip. Um, uh, they have a few more weeks to get, which is I guess a compliment to Kentucky volleyball. Um, they have a few more weeks to get ready for Kentucky, uh, who they face uh, right around Thanksgiving time. Um, so for the rest of that, they're uh, once again, um, the same point I made the night they played Mississippi State is they're on a stretch of about six, six, seven straight weeks where they're probably going to be favored in every single match they go into. Um, they're holding Pat in the rankings. They're 23rd again this week in the American Volleyball Coaches Association poll. Um, yeah, it's just it kind of feels like the program that looked like it was really 
headed for a bit of a tailspin early in the year has kind of found autopilot that's kind of just coasting through the air right now. They're not really so they're not really altering their trajectory or doing anything earth shattering, but they're not um, they're not continuing uh, what I think some people who were close to the panic button were going to call a trend early in the year. No, yeah, I completely agree with you. Uh, you know, I think it's a good thing that there's not a whole lot to talk about the volleyball team because, 100%. you know, if we are talking about them, it's usually probably not something good or it's something that's kind of uh, unfamiliar with this program that's uh, very used to winning, uh, especially in the SEC. Ryan, um, what happened on the tennis courts this weekend? Uh, so multiple things happened on the tennis courts, actually. On the uh, 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 pro circuits, um, uh, one of Florida's players actually took home a professional trophy. Uh, Duarte Valle teamed up with former Gator Johannes Ingoldson, who uh, Ingoldson just finished his uh, last year with the team a year ago, uh, won 100 matches in his career at Florida. Very, very decorated Florida player and his career with the national championship. But uh, Varte and Ingoldson teamed up to uh, win the doubles title at Marty Fish's Children's Foundation Tennis Championships uh, down in Vero Beach. Um, they, it's the second pro tournament they've competed together. And they just kind of ran the table. I, it doesn't look like they dropped a set um, in their way. Uh, they beat the top seed of uh, Juan Ignacio Galarza and Rick, Ricardo Rodriguez. Um, uh, ben Shelton actually was also an appearance. Uh, he was teamed up with the number one ITA ranked player, Liam Draxel. And uh, Valley and Ingleton actually wound up having to beat uh, their own teammate there, who uh, I think beating Ben Shelton in any format right now is a huge feather in your cap um because he's been on fire since the moment he put on the orange and blue a year ago um and then uh like florida men's tennis the same team hosted their own regional this week and won 20 matches uh highlighted by a lot of newcomers uh playing playing really really well uh matthias samar who's a graduate transfer from michigan um uh won seven matches uh to lead the team he blew through the consolation bracket of singles um, Nate Bonetto and Abadella Shobai. Um, I really hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but they both, um, uh, they both kind of, uh, excelled too. Um, I know one of the two of them, I believe it was Bonetto won, uh, his first two ranked or got two ranked victories. So, um, yeah, I mean that the team really, uh, did their, did their job. Um, especially on home soil. So that's uh, two, bi two big takeaways. I mean, there's not really going to be a victor from the regional tournament. Florida's moving on. Um, uh, they'll have, um, yeah, they'll have uh, more tournaments coming in the first week of November. I uh, forget, I'm blanking on what the next round of uh, the tennis, like fall season is, because it's not like it's just kind of more competitive reps at this point, rather than a true postseason. Um, uh, Josh Goodger, Got a few wins as well. He's one of the older guys on the team, more of a veteran presence. Um, I think really the biggest takeaway has to be uh, the way um, Bonetto and Shelby played because this really, this is a really old team uh, across the board for Florida men's tennis. Um, I know that like when I got hired a year ago um, for, to cover for the Alligator and it was the first team that I was going to cover, um, a lot of my, like my first impression was, wow, this team is all a bunch of sophomores. Uh, they're going to be together for the next two years. And now they're all a bunch of seniors. Um, I think like, Samar is a scene, like a graduate student. Um, almost the entire team are seniors, except for uh, Bonetto, Shelby, and Shelton. And so to have those three guys who are so clearly going to be the nucleus of the team, 
once this next generation is gone and the, like they've kind of retooled for this one final championship run right now. Uh, well, a final, I have no idea how, uh, how, like how remarkable their recruiting classes are going to be. And I think will, uh, will grant shall buy Shelton and uh, Benetto definitely have the capability to like lead a championship nucleus of their own. But this squad kind of has uh, one last go around the way it's currently built. And um, so to have, those like younger guys in the team really stand out in a more national scale uh, has to be super, super comforting for Brian Shelton. Even if he, I'm sure he was plenty comfortable with his team already, but to see those guys get those reps and excel in those reps is uh, very promising for the team going forward. For sure. Ryan, is there anything else going on in Gator sports right now? Um, women's, uh, women's golf is competing this week. Um, it's the last golf event for either men's or women's golf. Um this season uh this fall at least um the men's golf team uh this past week actually i guess i'll recap them first because they're they already played and the women are in the middle of their tournament um the florida men's golf team uh i believe is the first time they finished in the top half of the leaderboard um uh in their most recent tournament i believe they finished fifth they had their best round of the fall uh, as a team in their final round um even despite ricky castillo really really struggling um so yeah, like that was uh, promising. Um, I think, I mean, they're that men's golf team. Uh, I don't want to say disappointed uh, this fall, um, but that was a team that I sat and kind of praised uh, going into um, going into the season and uh, really had high expectations for and. It's the fall, and I mean, they kind of underwhelmed last fall and then came out and won their first two tournaments in the spring. So it's kind of that same deal of, like, it says something about the team, but um, who really knows uh, how much it really matters for the future. Uh, but the women, um, the women's golf team has excelled this fall. Um, I had equally high, if not higher, expectations for them uh, with how – experience their roster isn't it's, it's a really rare combination of youth and experience they have a lot of juniors and sophomores that have postseason uh experience especially on the national level um but they're playing the ally at old waverly which is hosted by mississippi state and uh, they're in second place after day one and they finished third in each of their first three tournaments um they have a trio of players in the top 10 individually clara manzolini Maisie filler and jackie lucena all shot three under 69s uh annabelle fuller shot an even par 72 um, if you have all three of your scores that are all four of your scores that are going to count at even par or lower, you are going to contend. And that's apparently been the main takeaway of watching this women's golf team is they don't like, they don't really have a weak link, not to say that I really expected them to, but uh, everyone like who pays attention to the team, uh, Annabelle Fuller has impressed since she was in high school getting recruited uh, Maisie Filler has gotten the experience. Ma Marina Escobar has the experience. Uh, we like people know that the Florida like women's golf roster is top heavy, but Jackie Lasana finished second individually in her uh, her uh, most recent event, and now she's tied for sixth after round one at the Ally. And she was someone that kind of transferred in. wasn't really one hundred percent sure if she was going to be one of those five or not. Um, uh, but for Florida women's golf to lose a player like Addie Baggerly, who'd been kind of a staple in those lineups for the three or four years before she uh, took off, she'll be at Baylor in the spring. Um, but for them to lose a player like that and come back and 
to have this strong of a fall is really, really impressive. And it feels like every single player on the team has had some impressive tournament. Manzalini led the team uh, the first time around. Annabelle Fillers had some of the lowest rounds on the team. I think Maisie Filler led the team the second time around. Uh, if I think all five of those starting players have really had at least one tournament, if not like one tournament round, if not one full tournament where they've excelled uh, already. And the calendar isn't even in November yet. So that team, um, I had high expectations for both golf teams at Florida this year, and the men kind of stalled a little bit and looked like they might have found their rhythm in their final event of the year, but the women have exceeded my own expectations. For sure. Hey, um, before we move on to football and, and the Florida, Georgia, and everything around that, I do want to also bring up that incoming freshman Leanne Wong earned a, she earned two medals in the world championships. Uh, she earned a silver in the all around and a bronze in the floor exercise while 2023 classes, um, Kayla DeCello, she's committed currently to Florida, earned a bronze medal in the all around as well. So Gators are making a, I mean, they're making an impact on the nat- on the national and the world stage, which is really just incredible. Uh, so obviously we're, you know, that's a little bit of gymnastics looking ahead. Like I said, Leanne Wong is on campus uh, and and she's going through the motions with the Gators gymnastics teams right now. Uh, And she's going to be a lot of fun to watch come uh, January and February. Um, Guys, let's let's The last name Wong is kind of hot in gymnastics right now. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, Hey guys, let's, uh, let's get into some, uh, you know, just a little bit of football talk because he's, Florida, Florida, Georgia is probably my favorite rivalry. And part of the reason and part of the logic behind it is that these schools don't really agree on anything. Um, it, it dates back to the first meeting. Georgia contends that that first meeting was a 52 to zero Georgia route on October 15th, 1904. Well, Florida record books are like, no, that actually didn't happen. Actually, Georgia beat us 37 to zero in 1915. Uh, so, you know, depending on who's right, who's wrong, whatever, uh, because of that. If I could get into the caveat, um, the main caveat in that argument is that Georgia did, in fact, play the University of Florida in football in that first meeting. It's just a separate the University of Florida that soon went under and closed down. And then this current iteration, the University of Florida, took its place in the absence, but in like in the time between those two meetings. So Georgia has played 100 games of football against a school named the University of Florida. But this institution is not the one they played the first time around. It was a different one with the same name. Now, this will be number 100 per Georgia records. Well, yeah. Okay. So this and would be the Florida record state five. that they've played 98 times. Like I said, I just, I think that the, the history is kind of cool. And obviously uh, you can make it unfun with, uh, with the way that Ryan went with it. Um, <laughs> uh, but guys, I was the trying largest, to educate the masses. Okay. I know, but it, it's just so much less fun when you, when you think of it like that, um, <laughs> but no, it's all good. Hey, the largest uh, margin of victory, Anybody have an idea what it might be and who who might own it? Is it 2017? Because I feel like it might be 2017. No, no, no. It's it felt like bigger. it in the moment. It did. Jesse, any guesses? I have a feeling it happened like. Give me the points. Let's not worry about when it happened, but how many, what, what do you think the spread was? But I'm curious when it happened. Uh, the, I only guess the spread was about 
38. In 1942, Georgia won 75 to zero. Oh my gosh. This actually ties into my favorite tidbit about this rivalry. I'll go after you're done. No, no, go, go ahead. Please. No, so 1942 is actually also the last time Georgia was ranked number one in the country going into this game. Um, among the teams that Florida football lost to in 1942, shout out an article that's coming out tomorrow. Um, for uh the independent florida alligator so brian if you steal this and publish it tonight we're gonna have a very angry phone call growing up i'm um, doing it jesse you're uh, on it <laughs> um but a great piece that michael did for our rivalry edition insert that's coming out with florida georgia among those teams florida lost to in 1942 naval air station jacksonville hmm. it during world war ii uh, professional and collegiate athletes that were getting ready to serve um both in the lead up and during the war actually set up uh, their own teams on bases around the country. And the team uh, on Naval air station, Jacksonville took down Florida in their opening game of the season. So um, it was not Florida, a very good Florida team. Yeah, huh? Florida had a very rough 1942. Now, the funny thing is you mentioned that that was the last time that Georgia entered the Florida game ranked number one. I, I mean, I think all of us could potentially see a point spread like that in this year's game too right <laughs> don't, yeah it's it's i was floored the spread was 14 points yeah that's, that seems think like easy that might money. get covered by halftime yeah that that seems like easy money you guys i don't want to spend too much time talking football giving a huge preview uh that's what the gridiron growl podcast is for please check out the latest episode that was recorded last night uh, but anyway, there are a couple things and I think it would be irresponsible of us to not at least address. All right. And I basically, I just want to break this down into just a couple questions for you. First, we'll start with Jesse. Jesse, who's getting the start at quarterback? Starter will be Emory Jones this week. Um, There's a lot of people that do not like that answer. I, I, I agree. And maybe it's not my favorite answer in the world either. But I have a feeling that Dan Mullen is going to keep being a stubborn Dan Mullen and he's going to just do what he thinks is best. Now, I know we all think that Anthony Richardson is the the answer. He's the messiah to this team, but I don't think he's going to be the messiah this season. And I think that he's going to stick with like a, a 50-50. I think Anthony Richardson will definitely see the field a lot, but Emory Jones will take the first snap on Saturday. What kind of split? in the reps do you think we'll get from the quarterbacks do you think it's going to be 50 50 or do you think they're going to continue to trot anthony richardson out on that third series i, I think depending on how the game goes I, I think if emory jones finds a little bit of of energy maybe he finds a good vibe against georgia i doubt it because Georgia's very good this year um but uh, i think it might end up going 50 50 and if anthony richardson starts to show a little bit more light than emory jones and i think we'll see a lot more of anthony by the end of the game especially if it's going to be the score i think it is which is like 35 to nothing by the second half but yeah <laughs> we'll see all right ryan same question to you so who starts a quarterback and what kind of split of reps will there be emory jones starts and I think it's going to be roughly 60-40 Richardson. Do you think Richardson's going to end up with the bulk of it? I think so. I now, think, do you think that's because Emery's going to struggle and Anthony's going to inject life, kind of like what we saw in the LSU game? Less so less so Emery struggles and more so Richardson. Like, I think – I think this game either goes one of two ways in my head. Um. Uh, either 
Richardson does something really, really like stupid in a very good way and makes it closer than it should be. And they just ride the hot hand or the game gets out of reach early because neither of them are playing well. And Georgia's just that good. And Dan Mullen has that watershed moment that like, Hey, maybe I should just get this guy more reps. Um, I think either, either way, whether the game is close or whether it's well out of reach, I think the smart money is that Anthony Richardson's going to be getting reps in the third and fourth quarter. Well, and this game could very well be the catalyst to the Anthony Richardson era in Gainesville. Yeah, it could. Um, And to the same degree though, uh, it could work a lot like the Alabama game where I think there's more sentiment in Richardson's favor than there was before the Alabama game. But if Emory Jones shows up and steps out and like does like plays a great game against Georgia, that Q, that QB controversy gets a lot quieter again. For sure. But hey guys, I, I want to, I want to ask you both this because it's something that we brought up last night. And I think it's uh it's kind of an important thing to discuss. If Florida were to find a way to win this game, or even just to keep it close, given that with the idea that they blew the season with losses to Kentucky and LSU teams that we believe are inferior to Florida. I, I believe that we, we all agree with that. We what did. is your what is your feeling? What is your sentiment about this team? If they, you know, they were within two points of Alabama, and if they are able to either win or keep it close against the nation's number one team in Georgia, what's what's the thought there? Jesse, go ahead and go first. I mean, uh, <laughs> if Florida somehow beats this year's Georgia team, then obviously it's something which is going very, very wrong for Georgia on Saturday. And when it comes to saying, you know, Kentucky is usually inferior to Florida, this year was not the case. I think Kentucky was pretty good this year, and Florida was just very not. Um, but if the miracle happens, and we beat let's Kentucky say, in stats, okay, that's fair. I'm glad to give you that point, Brian. But 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 I mean, look, if if there, so Florida is, has yet to be outgained this season. They're really seven and zero in the Mullen book. <laughs> that's fair but i have a feeling it's not gonna be the case on saturday um i think i think george is gonna is gonna outgain florida on just about every every stat line i think they're i think the de- georgia defense is superior to just about any team that florida has seen this season but uh if if florida pulls out a win then i like i guess i'll be impressed but it, it's kind of it's kind of going to be like me with the eagles uh yesterday against the raiders like yeah you came back and it's, it was 20 22 to 33 final score but too little too late i think i think most of the florida fan base has given up on this season and a win versus georgia is not going to help that i mean it's going to give us a week of happiness i think and i think that's that's it's going to expire probably pretty soon after that so jesse and ryan i'm going to go before you here if you don't mind just because I, I completely feel the opposite, I think, of what Jesse does. When he says we're going to have that week of, like, euphoria, I disagree. I'm going to be furious. I'm going to look back you and say, wait a second. That's why I had to go first. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I am going to be so mad at the opportunity that was missed at the LSU game, at the Kentucky game. And when you look back and you say, hold on, we had the number one Alabama team we were an extra point away from taking them to overtime. Realistically, we had Georgia against the ropes, potentially winning whatever we're going to say that, you know, happened in this hypothetical, very unlikely scenario. I'm going to be furious. I'm going to look back at this a lot. Like I look back at last year. I feel like last year we wasted generational talent at quarterback wide receiver, tight end 
and there was no accountability to be to be paid for it. And that's what we're getting this year. And that is infuriating to me. Ryan, I'll let you add to that. Yeah, I was going to say um, the only thing that I think could be more infuriating than Florida beating Georgia is if Florida relies entirely on Anthony Richardson and beats Georgia. Because if either way, you're still wasting a team that clearly has the talent to go toe-to-toe with the number one team in the country pretty unequivocally so far this season. They're unanimous in the AP poll. Um, So a team that, like, arguably – I think Georgia and Alabama are both – if the season ended right now, no one played another game. They're both playoff teams, according to the AP poll. And if Florida could keep a close game and somehow beat one of them and almost go to overtime with another one – and they lost. I mean, I think Kentucky's really good, uh, better than I even thought they were going to be. Um, but if those two losses just look worse and worse and worse, and then if this is not the point that I expected to wind up making, because I've been so pro Emory the entire year, uh, and I still don't think he's that fully dead and buried. Um, but to but to continue the, for argument's sake, if Anthony Richardson shows up, shows out for the second half, and beats Georgia, everyone's going to be like, okay, Dan what the hell now? Like how in the world was this guy just sitting on the bench for all of these games? No, I I completely agree. And uh, with that, I think we'll just do a a final score prediction. Uh, Jesse, let's start with you. What a, no explanation, just a score. No explanation, just a score. All right, fine. Uh, It's going to be 56 to 10 Georgia. Ooh, man, we're not stopping them at all, huh? <laughs> nope. uh, <laughs> Ryan, final score prediction. 38-10. But it'll feel more lopsided. Yeah, I mean, I went 52-27. to 27. I, I have <laughs> to think that once we get into the third quarter, fourth quarter, George is going to be playing back on defense, and it's going to open up some chances for whoever's at quarterback. Uh, to make some passes, but I mean, I just, I don't, I don't have the faith in Georgia's offense to score. You know, as what? bad as, as bad as Florida's defense is, I don't know if I, I, I don't like trust, like Georgia's offense hasn't had to put up more than 30 points in a game except Vanderbilt. So, you know what? If, if they do the halfback counter trap to the right side of the line, I'm not convinced that we can ever stop them. <laughs> uh, that, that seemed to be a really difficult play for us to defend. Uh, just ask LSU who ran it literally 15 times in a row, uh, all for positive gains. Um, but yeah, no, it's, I'm not very thrilled about uh, a 52 to 27 final. And I'm not positive about 27 points. That's a lot on this Georgia team. And that might feel like a small victory, uh, but whatever. Dan Mullen says there are no moral victories. I believe him. Uh, that's about the only thing I believe him on. Anyway, moving on, guys. Any uh, any final thoughts before we uh, sign off for the night? Um, shout out, um, shout out our boy Jake Hit, friend of the podcast. Um, there's going to be a Georgia player in New York for the Heisman ceremony. Jordan Davis is going to be a Heisman finalist, and he is going to make his case on national television against Florida. I feel so much pity for Kingsley and Gakwin, who I think is a very very good center. Jordan Davis doesn't look like it's a fair fight. No, I, I completely agree with you. But let me ask you this, Ryan. Is that is Jordan Davis going to New York for this because there's not really been much cream of the crop as far as, you know, there's no clear-cut Heisman winner right now. Yeah, Yes, but not because he doesn't deserve it. More, right. so, more so because a defensive player can only ever be a Heisman finalist in a year like this. 
Right. Um, even though he's he's de- unequivocally to me been the best player in the country thus far this season, um, you have to not only have an as- as outstanding season um, as a skill position player, period, you have to have a historic season to win the Heisman. As a defensive skill position, you have to have a historic season and have no great offensive player. Yeah, I, I completely so, agree. Like- Jordan Davis is definitely the most disruptive player uh, in the country right now. Uh, did, you but, see, did you see the clip of him against the Kentucky center? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just like moving him around with one hand to either side of his body. It, like, it felt like he must have felt like he was on a roller coaster. Yeah. It should be a, a fun time watching Kingsley try to uh, make a block there. <laughs> um, but we'll see what happens. You know, stranger things have happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Stranger things have happened. But like, I think I, I, with a Florida offensive line that's banged up, and an unsure situation at quarterback with like one guy who's pretty widely known for standing in the pocket stationary longer than he should and going through his reads longer than he should. And another guy who's kind of known for just scrambling on a whim uh, as Richardson has so far, even though he's been really good at it so far. Um, I think Jordan Davis is going to be in the backfield a lot. And yeah. I think he's going to wind up with a Florida player in his hands in the backfield a lot, whether they have the ball or not. So if he has like, cause it's going to be a national televised game either way, cause it's Florida, Georgia, it's going to be on CVS. I think he could walk away with like three or four sacks. Jesse, any final thoughts today? Uh, yeah, I guess just kind of showing on uh, a little bias towards the soccer team. I, I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how uh, this final week kind of shapes up and comes down to a close counting on a couple of teams to, to lose it here in, in the yeah, next week between Texas A&M and Mississippi State. And, uh, yeah, it should be an interesting ending for Florida soccer. And then, geez, and then, uh, oh, Fest 19 is this weekend in Gainesville. So that should be a fun time. Brian, I don't know, I don't know if you're going to go check out some some tunes or some some wrestling, but I will definitely be there all weekend, and it should be a, a great time. I don't know Jesse. if I'll be able to, but every, everyone who's listening to this podcast, go check out Jesse's feature on the Avenue out the Avenue from the Alligator about uh, setting up the stuff for uh for Fest this weekend. He wrote a, did a phenomenal feature on the wrestlers that are going to be around. The Knocking Boots is not going to be quiet this week. Oh, yeah. Definitely not. Uh, Jesse, yeah, great job with that. Um, dude, I, I wish I was going to go to Fest. The problem is it happens the same weekend every year as Florida, Georgia. Uh, so I will be in Jacksonville. I really wanted to check it out. Eve Six, one of my favorite bands, uh, is actually playing at Fest this year. Uh, they just had a new album come out in the last year, and I was really hoping to get to see them. But, you know, like I said, with Florida, Georgia and our, our big weekend every year, uh, it's just not going to happen. Guys, my final thought uh, as it relates to Gator sports. Hey, did you guys know that men's basketball is out scrimmaging against the oh, – No, nobody knew. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, no, this is – the you know what? Nobody UNC knew. hoops, North, North Carolina hoops, posted on their Twitter all these highlights, which, by the way, our team looks off, and I get that they're North Carolina highlights – but it doesn't look like we know how to block or, 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 excuse me, box out or anything. It's a little bit concerning, honestly. And I get that these are the highlights, but there were a lot of UNC highlights on this reel. And yeah, we've well, heard I mean, nothing kind of, from Denver or anybody else. Yeah, it goes both ways. Um, yeah, I mean, UNC is also a historically great program. Um, but – I don't know. I mean, I just, I have a hard time. Was that like a UNC condition? Cause I feel like enough Florida, I feel like if you just told students like, Hey, there's going to be an open scrimmage against North Carolina basketball, 
I don't think there would have been many open seats in the O'Connell Center. No, so was, it like U- was it like UNC being like, the only two things I can think of are it's UNC being like, hey, like we don't want to play in front of fans or it's Mike White being like, hey, I want as few eyes on my 2022 team as possible. Which could be a very scary thing. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's, that's either some uh, big brain uh, action going on from Mike White there, or he's terrified. I'm going to assume it's the first thing as of right now, because I have a heart. I have never once found a coach in my I, entire life of watching sports that is not confident in his team a month before the season. Everyone just, talks themselves into themselves before the season starts. I so, just know that I went to bed last night and I was flipping through Twitter and I saw Carolina basketball showed up on my, on my feed. And I was like, well, that's really weird. And then it says it may have been, maybe that was it, but it says scrimmage highlights from Gainesville. And I was like, huh, I live in Gainesville. (laughs) And I start watching like, huh, that was here. I had no idea. Um, And while we're talking about basketball, I know we've had media day, Ryan, you've, have you been a part of media day for, uh, men's basketball no but another one of our writers did i know they just spoke with all the grad transfers most recently right but you've had that opportunity and that that's great uh i do want to say this because i think it's important and it's um it's not great the fact that the women's basketball team has not had a media day for everybody to come and talk to them look i get that they don't really want to talk about what's going to get talked about but the fact that it hasn't happened is a disservice to both the program and to the fan base. And, and to, I think it's and to, every, and to everyone that's ever been affected by that program. The silence right. makes it worse. I don't yeah. if you're Kelly Ray Finley. I don't care if your game plan is I'm not answering those questions. You have to at least look the reporters in the eye and say that rather than doing it over an email. Right. How do you get out? How do you not get out there? And it, I mean, very simply just say, Hey, look, mistakes were made. We're working on correcting those. We're doing this as a group. We're all together, all in, whatever. Say all the right buzzwords and at least get that out there. But there's been nothing, silence. And I think that is the most frustrating part. Uh, It's disturbing. And I think it's borderline disgusting that this is going on right now in the women's basketball program. So, yeah, that's something that I'd like to see change. It sounds like we might have a media session coming up soon from the from the sounds of it. Obviously, if that happens, we will have uh, more information next week about the women's basketball program, which is a program and maybe the most frustrating part of this whole thing. They have a pretty good roster coming back this year. This is the best team that Florida women's basketball roster wise on paper. This is the best team they've had in the last five to ten years. I, I mean, I, I'm ready to see them play. Uh, but obviously they need to get past this first hurdle and then, you know, worry about the team from there. Uh, anyway, guys, if you have nothing to add uh, for Ryan Haley, Jesse Richardson, I'm Brian Fox. Thank you guys for joining us this week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks. Tune in and listen to our madness for however long this was. Peace out, dudes and do dudes. <laughs>